0: Amen. So, our scripture passage this morning comes from Mark chapter 4. It is two parables there at the end of that chapter, beginning in verse 26. You'll see the parable of the seed growing, and then in beginning in verse 30 through 32, the parable of the mustard seed Maybe familiar passages to you. We're continuing in our series uh, through the gospel of Mark, and we've come to this text this morning, so let's read uh, together, beginning in chapter 4, verse 26. And he, that is Jesus, said... With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This is God's word. Say with me, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Now here's my question to you this morning. Do you, and it's kind of a rhetorical question because I know the answer, but it is something good to be thinking about. Do you ever get discouraged because it seems like so little is happening spiritually? Do you ever do you ever get discouraged because it takes so long for the things that God has promised to actually begin to happen? Maybe it's in parenting or maybe it's just in your own dealing with your own heart do you want i wonder do you ever do you ever feel that way do you ever just get discouraged and think gosh it feels like something more than what is going on should be going on you're praying but nothing seems to be happening i want to say to you it is normal to feel this way all who have dared to live by faith have had their moments or seasons where their faith begins to fail because there is such a large gap between what god has said And what God has promised and what God's word says is true and what they're experiencing in the circumstances of their life. Now when Jesus said here, the kingdom of God has come, this is chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, it created expectations for the people who heard it. They immediately began to dream about the Romans being gone and national glory for Israel and, and such things. And it did not exactly work out that way for them. But that is not because Jesus was untrue. They misunderstood the nature of the kingdom and the way it advances in the world. And so Jesus told these parables because, and man, this is one of the truest statements that I've ever heard. He told these parables because expectations are nothing more than premeditated resentments. Expectations are often just premeditated resentments. And so here is the main lesson. That he would teach us from giving, in giving us these two parables. Things are never what they seem. It may appear as if nothing is happening, but in truth, there's always more going on than what you can see. It might look like evil is winning, but in fact, the kingdom is advancing. So don't be discouraged when things move slower than you want them to. Don't be discouraged. And lose heart when it's hard because we, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. And these two parables, side by side here, they help us believe even when we can't see. And that's the key to faithfulness in the Christian life. To be able to believe and keep believing even when you can't see. And here's the lesson. The kingdom is already here. But it is not yet all the way here. Let me say that again. it's already here, but not yet all the way here. The seeds of heaven are being sown in the world, and in some cases, however, they remain buried beneath the surface and unseen. And so we wait, we pray, we hope, and these stories help us. Because they show us the truth, they show us what is really happening, they show us, they unveil for us reality behind what our eyes can. Just barely see. And from the two parables, we learn two really important things about the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Mark's writing about the kingdom. And here are the lessons he teaches us. Jesus teaches us about the kingdom. He tells us about the invisibility of the kingdom's advance. But secondly, also the inevitability of the kingdom's advance. Here's what you got to know about the kingdom. You got to know that it is invisible. It's hidden. There's something you can't see it always immediately. But secondly, you got to know that it is inevitable like the mustard seed. And so we learn from each of those parables an important lesson. So let's just walk through those two, the two different parts of the text and learn and and talk in more detail about each of those. So the first, the first parable beginning in verse 26, the parable of the seed growing, it describes how the kingdom is invisible. It describes the invisibility of the kingdom. It says, let's look there again. It says the kingdom of God is like a man scattering seed on the ground. He goes about his days. It says not paying much attention and out of nowhere, almost, the, spe- the seed sprouts up and grows. He doesn't even know how it happens. One minute, he looks, and there's nothing. And then the next, the growth comes bursting up out, you know, through the ground, almost out of nowhere, all on its own. The seed becomes a blade, and then an ear, and then eventually grain that is ready for the harvest. Now, it's interesting. If you look there and notice the details of Jesus' story, There, there's no mention of the man worrying over what he has sown. It doesn't even mention him watering or fertilizing the seeds, Now I'm sure... He was not neglectful, but the impression Jesus means to leave with us is that this man plants the seed and then he goes about his life and he just gets busy with other things. He plants the seed and he does nothing else except to go to bed and wake up in the morning and do it again and again. And somehow, all of itself, the earth produces the seed. That is, in fact, the lesson. And the lesson is this, that it is God's work that matters most. We can water and fertilize and weed and worry. But in the end, we are powerless to bring the seeds we sow to harvest. This is what the Apostle Paul said about his own ministry. If you remember in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, he said... I planted the seed and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And that's true of all things. It's true of all things. Paul Paul applied that truth by saying to the Corinthian church, and I think to us, he says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. For we are God's fellow workers. We are, he says, you, we're, we're God's fellow workers. You're God's field. Now that's so important. To hear what the Apostle Paul is doing there in whatever work you're doing. whether it be, I, I, Lots of applications to parenting this morning because we have so many kids. But in whatever that thing is, whatever you're sowing and planting and, and seeking to reap. Paul says, whatever work you're busy with. Whether it's it's in parenting, right? In parenting, we sow seeds into the lives of our kids and then we water those seeds through repetition and correction and discipline. But the sowing and the watering are, at the end of the day, nothing unless God comes and gives growth. Unless he does, you water and you sow and you worry and you weed and you correct and you discipline and you do all of that in vain. That's Psalm 127, Our kids, as we parent, we have to remember, our kids are God's field, not ours. We are God's fellow workers. They are his field. We plant. We water. He gives the growth. His work matters most. Our work accomplishes very little. He has the ultimate green thumb. In the prophet Isaiah, it says that he can grow cypress trees in the desert. Now, the last time I checked, I lived. I grew up around Lake Eloise. Last time, cypress trees grow up out of the lakes. They grow up buried in water, but God can grow them in a desert. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's pretty awesome. And that's and I, man, I hold on to that. And it means with spiritual things, you can't force it. You can't make it happen by sheer force of will. Your job in parenting or whatever it is you're doing, your job is to faithfully plant and water. And pray because God has to come with the growth. His work matters most. And here's what else we learn. His work is often hidden. It's invisible. It's imperceptible. It's the other main lesson of this parable, that despite appearances, even when there are long stretches of time where it seems like nothing is happening, in fact, the seeds God has sown are growing. The kingdom is advancing the harvest will come, but it will come in God's time, and it will come in God's way, and not by human effort or in accordance to human logic. We could say it another way. Often when it seems like nothing is happening, that's when the most important stuff is happening. Because the stuff you can't see, you can't measure, that's the really. That's what really matters. That's the really important stuff. I've used bamboo as an illustration before, and I, because I think about it a lot. I walk my dog my dog, um, down the causeway in our neighborhood every night, and there's this big stand of bamboo trees. And so I think about it. And bamboo, it takes, I've, I've said this, but it bears repeating. Bamboo, bamboo takes three to five years to grow. But for all of that time, for five years or so, you plant the seed and then you see Nothing. Because all of the growth is underneath the ground, and then the way bamboo works is it'll stay stay hidden under the ground for five years, and then all of a sudden, it bursts through the ground and then it can grow up to 90 feet in just a few short weeks. And I really think that's the way of spiritual things. Just because you can't see what's happening doesn't mean nothing's happening. One commentator summarized the parable like this. He said, The kingdom of God does not depend on human effort to achieve it, does not depend on human ins excuse me it does not depend on human effort to achieve it and human insight will not be able to explain it it's an invisible kingdom which means what you can't see matters just as much or more than what you can see things are never what they seem so don't get discouraged when it feels like nothing is happening when, it, when you think no progress is being made, don't fall apart when it looks like evil is winning, right? You look at the macro level of things in our culture. You say the West is moving quickly into post-Christianity. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Don't worry. The global South is coming. Right? America may not be seeing, sending missionaries anymore, but guess what? Africa is. God has a way of doing the work. That he intends to do in the world. And that global south is coming and will likely carry the torch in the next generation. The seeds of heaven are still being sown all over the world. And despite the enemy's attempts to sow wheat among the weeds, to to reference a different parable, they continue to grow and God will oversee the growth of what he has planted until the harvest comes. That's the promise. And that truth is most powerfully displayed in Jesus' death upon the cross. The Jews expected a conquering Messiah, not a crucified one. And that was their problem with Jesus. Expectations, it seems to always come back to that. The cross was not what it seemed. It looked like defeat, but it wasn't. It looked like weakness, it wasn't. It looked like failure. But in reality, it was the moment of Jesus' triumph because he came to save us from the real enemy, not the Romans, but sin and death. And like the seed that goes down into the earth that must die, and then out of death comes life, For the kingdom to advance across the world, the king had to die so that from his death could come life. The cross was not evil winning. It might have looked that way. The disciples surely thought that was the case. For them, it was the end of all their hopes. It crushed their dreams. But in truth, it was something very different on the cross. The apostle Paul said Jesus was disarming the armies of darkness and making a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in his death. And that's the truth. So let's apply it to our lives in a couple of different ways. <clears throat> Excuse me. Before we move on to the second parable. <clears throat> let's say a couple things. First, discouragement. Discouragement is unbelief. Discouragement is walking by faith, not by sight. Excuse me, walking by sight, not by faith. Let me get that right. Let's name it what it really is. Discouragement. This is a hard truth. But I want to say it, discouragement, if you really think about it deeply enough, discouragement is often just premeditated resentment. Premeditated resentment. God is not doing things the way that you want them done. And it's God's work. We might acknowledge that, but we want it done in our way and on our schedule. And faith, not sight, is what keeps you in good courage. This is 2 Corinthians 5, that same passage there. It's really important, I think. Faith is what is able to keep you cheerful and confident. It doesn't matter what you don't see. right? It doesn't matter what you can see. Faith believes despite what can't be seen. And so if you're discouraged, if you've lost heart, if you're lacking in confidence either in God's power or his kindness, here's what I would have you consider. Consider if it might be because you've begun to live by sight and not by faith. And there's some repenting we can all do here towards our unbelief. There is, there is no coalition of evil. There is no hard-heartedness in the people that you love. There is no unfavorable circumstance that is able to thwart God's ultimate purposes in Jesus Christ for you. Thank you for that, amen. That was right. You may not be able to see it for a billion years. Until you've had time enough to take in the millions of threads being woven together into the beautiful thing that God is creating. But even if you can't see it, that doesn't make it any less true. Here's the second thing, the way that I would apply this. The second way to apply this, I think, would be to say, remember, things are not ever what they seem. Death is victory. Weakness is strength. What feels like a setback is often advanced. What feels like, when it feels like nothing is happening, that's probably my experience when the most important stuff is happening. The crosses that you carry in your discipleship to Jesus, the places where you feel the most weak, the most broken, the most vulnerable, that's probably where God is doing his best work because when you're weak then he's strong which means when you're weak then you're strong and then the third thing I would say is just be faithful just change diapers don't worry about the outcome for the most part those outcomes don't depend upon you. You can't control how things go, but you can show up. You can show up in marriage. You can show up in parenting. You can show up at work. You can show up for the people that you love in your life. And you can plant, and you can water, and you can weed, and you can watch, and you can stay hopeful and not give in to discouragement. Just keep showing up and ask the Lord for eyes of faith to see whatever small encouraging signs there are because they're there. It's just the discouragement keeps you from seeing those things most of the time. And by the way, prayer cards help with this. I think you need some way of taking note of the details of the different threads because they are being woven together. It's just that we don't have eyes of faith to see. But the kingdom of heaven has come in Jesus Christ. It is here. But in truth, it is still invisible often. It is hidden. It's understated. You can miss it. Don't miss it. Second, the second parable then, and here's where the balance comes. The second parable, the parable of the mustard seed, describes the inevitable kingdom so the first describes the invisible kingdom the second describes the inevitable kingdom the inevitability of god's kingdom the kingdom of heaven is invisible but it is also inevitable and this is of course thanos's line right in the avengers movie do you remember this i am inevitable and what does he mean he means try as you might you can't stop me the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed The smallest of all seeds, Jesus tells us here. But eventually, over time, it becomes the largest of all the plants in the garden. And its branches are so high in the air and thick that the birds come and make their nests. They they rest in its safety and shade. And that bird nesting is a prophetic image of the inclusion of the Gentiles. The kingdom of heaven, though it starts small, is destined to take over the whole world. Jesus will be king of everything. Not a square inch at the end of the day of all that is made and all the billions and trillions of galaxies and the whole of creation will be outside of his reign and rule. Isn't that amazing? Just not yet. Now what's the lesson here? Well, the kingdom starts small, but it doesn't stay small. As I said, it's destined to fill the whole earth. Eventually, inevitably, what at first seems impossible becomes, over time, inescapable. Inescapable. What feels impossible right now? Over time, it becomes inescapable. That's, that's important to note because the smallness of things can be discouraging. But only if we misunderstand the way of God's working. Again, we're back to expectations. So what is God's way of working? The Bible's very clear. He says he chooses the weak, not the strong. He chooses nobody's, not the nobility. The kingdom arises from obscurity and insignificance. Jesus, you remember, was born in Bethlehem, surrounded by animals, celebrated by shepherds. The wise men, do you remember where they went when they came looking for him? They went to Jerusalem because they expected to find him in the palace among the nobility. But that is not God's way. The big things God is doing, they always start small. Wim Carey, who was the father of the modern missionary movement in many ways, was a missionary to India. And uh, as the story is told, it's one of my favorite missionary stories. He worked in India for seven years before he saw his first convert. Um, One of his major projects was to translate the Bible into the indigenous dialects. And he spent years working on it years, a decade or two decades only to have his library catch on fire and have to begin from the beginning. He buried children. His wife went insane, yet he stayed and he endured. He didn't quit. For 40 years, he worked in India without HMA, and by the end of those 40 years... He had seen 26 churches planted, and the scriptures translated into 34 different languages. And after him came an explosion of missionary activity. Not not only changed India, but all the other parts of the world as well. Now listen to his reflections on his circumstances. He said, when I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amidst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God, and his word is true. Though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are, and the example of the Europeans, a thousand times worse, though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith fixed on that sure wood would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. He must reign till Satan has not an inch of territory. That's what he believed. And it allowed him to persevere through those setbacks, those small beginnings where everything seemed, nothing seemed to be going right what does it mean for us? Well, in many ways, I think the best work of God in your life, the thing, listen to this, the thing that you're going to be celebrating 20 years from now, that really amazing thing that God has done 20 years from now, it is not the big thing that you're dealing with right now. It's something on the fringes that feels like no big deal. Some small detail that you're maybe aware of and maybe not, but it's only in your peripheral vision. So we can overlook easily the small stuff and miss the very best of what God is doing. And we can become discouraged by how small our faith is, how small the work of God is in the people that we love and how little progress is being made. And it's easy to get impatient and forget that if something seems small, that doesn't mean it's small. It just means it's the beginning That God's work might begin slowly, it might begin small at first, but it doesn't stay small. The kingdom of heaven is a mustard seed that is small at first, but is destined to grow and grow until the whole earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. The gospel would increase and grow from Jerusalem to Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And that's true for all of God's works, even the smallest at the end. When the totality of all things is considered, every small thing will be seen as a great and mighty thing the Lord has done and will be celebrated forever and ever and ever. (laughs) And that truth is most powerfully displayed in the resurrection. Jesus died, but he did not stay dead on the third day he was raised and he is alive and in heaven now that's the core gospel message and his resurrection is the seed of heaven shooting up out of the dirt of the old world and he right who gets a lot wrong but also gets a lot right he describes jesus's resurrection as the fresh grass of the kingdom growing up through the concrete of corruption and decay in the old world I love that so much i love that image i have these papers in my driveway which when we moved in I thought oh they're so they're so beautiful and amazing it's not just cracked concrete and now I hate them with a passion because over those seven years they've begun to crumble and separate and now every time I go outside after a rainstorm the grass and the weeds are pushing up through the cracks and it's terrible I'm constantly having to spray or weed eat it because we you know we would rather not spray all that poison where our you know people and pets run but it doesn't matter there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing I can do there's no stopping it I do it and the next day it's just back and that's see that's the thing the resurrection of Jesus means that the old world is on its way out it is crumbling as the new life of the kingdom shoots up out of the cracks and it's just a matter of time before this whole, old, terrible, awful, no-good thing that we all hate so much is completely overgrown, but not with weeds, with the garden of God. Frederick Buechner, who died recently, so he's worthy of a shout-out, he famously said this. Man, this this is refrigerator material stuff. He said, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing, and man, that encourages me. Now, I need to be done, but just before I'm done, let me apply this to our lives. And again, there's so many things that we could say here. We don't have time for all of them, but maybe just a couple. For one, I think this parable teaches us that there are no little people and there are no little places. That's Francis Schaeffer, by the way. He said that we need to acknowledge how impressed we are with big things. We equate size and success too often. And we imagine if God is at work, then it will be big. So we choose big things. We choose, you know, promotions. We choose bigger jobs. We choose bigger places, you know, to live and and work, thinking that that is where God is most at work, and it's simply not the case because in the kingdom of heaven, bigger is not better. So don't look at yourself and think, I don't have anything to offer. I'm a nobody. Who am I? What good can I do? Listen to me. There are no nobodies in the kingdom of heaven. And don't think... My job isn't, that very, isn't very important. All I do is bag groceries at Publix. There are no little assignments. The mustard seed is small at first. But by God's grace, it doesn't stay small in Jesus' hands. This is, I pray this every day. and day. I'm an Enneagram 3. It's probably why. You know I, I, I pray this every day. In Jesus' hands... Five loaves and two fish are enough to feed 5,000. So don't you dare conclude that you are what, what you're doing or where God... So don't you dare conclude that what you are or where you are or what you're doing is somehow less than what God has given to somebody else. See what I'm saying? He is able, with five loaves and two fish, he can feed 5,000. Whatever little offering you might have, when he takes it and puts it in his hands, it can become something great. This parable won't let you think that way. And the final judgment, the harvest, the final judgment will be the moment when we finally realize and it's revealed to us how small all the big things actually were. And how big what we thought was small has become in the end. The first will be last. The last will be first. There are no little people, and there are no little places. And then secondly, don't despise the days of small things. Don't, parents, Neil, don't despise the work of changing diapers. It's upstream from the changing of hearts, which is upstream from the changing of the world. That's a, actually a quote from Zechariah the prophet. Don't despise the day of small things. Things are, things that are big to God often seem small to us, and what is small among men, is often big in God's sight. And faithfulness, faithfulness is not small. So small obedience will become big, but not right away and not in the way you might expect. Listen to this one, one writer I read. I didn't get the name written down in my notes, but they said this, big things. Big things are not usually ours right now, nor, however, are they often what we expect. But if we allow Scripture to reshape our ideas of size, we will learn to see... The day of big things not only off in the future but in some sense here right now in the midst of all that seems so small you know it's challenging i will admit to think of discouragement as being sinful but it can be when it becomes a demand when it is a demand that things go the way we think they should or on our schedule or that god justify his actions to meet with our approval but what is the opposite of that discouragement i You could name it in a bunch of different ways. It's something like courage, hope, the ability to stick with things. And these things, courage, hope, endurance, they express themselves in faithfulness. Faithfulness matters. Just showing up matters. I'm on this kick, right? Small things matter. And here's what I've learned. If I've learned anything about the spiritual life, it is the cumulative effect of small acts of obedience that make the difference in the end. You with me? Like what changes people's lives, what changes the world are not these like wham-bam moments, right, where God comes down in some powerful way. It is the cumulative effect of small, daily, day after day, small, hidden, unseen, beautiful wonderful acts of obedience that when they get strung together are the very things that change the course of the world isn't that great news and so here's how uh, one of the old hymns puts it when it, when 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 the hymn writer calls us to this kind of faith he says in all our worst afflictions When furious foes surround us. When troubles vex and fears perplex and Satan would confound us. When like the restless ocean our hearts cast up uncleanness. Flood after flood with mire and mud and all is foul within us. When love is cold and languid and different passions shake us. When hope decays and God delays and seems to quite forsake us. Then... To maintain the battle with soldier-like behavior, to keep the field and never yield, but firmly eye the Savior. To trust his gracious promise, thus hard beset with evil. This, this is faith, will conquer death and overcome the devil. Amen? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. So, Father, we need faith to believe the truth of your promises to us despite what our circumstances might be yelling at us in the moment, we need eyes of faith to behold you, to firmly eye the Savior and trust his gracious promise, though we be hard beset with evil because it is that faith that overcomes, that overcomes death and even the devil. And so would you come now And no matter where we are some of us would say oh there's a flicker of that kind of faith in me would the sound of this song arising from our lips shake down into their souls and and give faith to those who might just have a flickering faith give us the ministry in this moment of um, encouraging one another with the sound of our voices and as we sing Drive home the truth of this song to our hearts, that indeed, um, you you are the rock on which we can build our lives. If we build our lives upon the rock of your gracious promises to us, Father, in the person of Jesus Christ, then the Spirit can come. And of that house built upon that rock, there is no wind, there is no storm, there is no surge that can shake it or flood it or overcome it. We will stand solid and firm in the midst of of trying circumstances, and for many of us, it's exactly what we need. Help us to not continue to build our lives on sand, to build sandcastles that are washed away with the incoming tide, but instead to turn to you and trust in you and know that it you're the one who takes the mustard seed and turns it into a giant, towering tree. You're the one who, when we plant, causes the seed to grow, and you will bring it to harvest, and we can trust you. But help us trust you, we pray, even as we sing now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I grew up at Calvary Baptist Church here in, in town, and there was a man there. His name was Rick Van Cleef, and he uh, went on to pastor a church, and he he decided late in life in his 40s to go to seminary, and he was going to seminary and teaching uh, the fourth grade boys Sunday school class, and so he was giving us a seminary education, and sometimes it was over my head, and I didn't understand much, but I remember very keenly. In those morning Sunday mornings with Rick, being so impressed at how amazing God's word is, and in many ways he was sowing seeds that have become the, that are being bearing fruit here, like in this moment right here, right in this church. And I say that to say. Who knows what small things God might call you to? And I say that also to say, go outside and tell Tammy you'll serve in the children's ministry. Because who knows what small things? Who knows what small things you'll do in the life of a, of a child that will mean a church plant or a missionary in in Africa one day? Or who knows, right? And it's worth it's worth ourselves are our giving ourselves to this. But who knows what small things He's calling you to this week as you go? What this benediction means. Is that in every case, when you take whatever small, meager offering you have and you offer it to Jesus and he takes it into his hands, he can feed the multitudes with it. That's what these words mean. So receive this benediction is the promise that you do not go on your own. You do not, do not go in your own power. But he promises to come alongside of you and take whatever small thing you might do or whatever small thing you might be and to make it Great something that will be celebrated forever and ever and ever. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus, receive these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you, and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you. Go in his peace.